Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade, starting our week after the Sunday of the Good Shepherd. And uh, I hope that everybody had a very pleasant weekend, a, a spiritually rewarding one. For those of you that still do not have access to the sacraments, thanks to this uh, regime that has been set up around the Western world at least, uh, know that we're all praying for you. And uh, continue to pray, and all of us need to continue to pray and do penance in order to regain that which has been lost, both within ourselves and, and around us. I don't have any intentions in the inbox today, and I encourage you to change that. However great or small, your intentions offer us an opportunity to offer prayers of the Almighty and uh, and offer uh, what uh, I was reading Bishop Sheen's uh, wartime prayer book, and he actually has, he does a little talk about this too. It shows up in Treasure and Clay and a couple of other places where he talks about the medical quality of transferring prayer. If you can, tra if you can transplant an organ or, or graft skin onto a burn victim, then surely those who are suffering can also have the, their prayers transferred to them. Sacrifices and crosses transferred from them to us in order to bear them. And that was a, a thought that I think we all could reflect on a little bit more when we talk about prayer. Now this isn't the usual reflection I do, this is just something to reflect on when you're talking about sending in intentions. Uh, and for people that do send in intentions, uh, when people do send in intentions, all of y'all that are listening, it's an opportunity for you to offer a cross of your own rather than for your own benefit, for the benefit of others, particularly when, uh, since we're on the subject of those that have been denied the sacraments. And I don't mean for a legitimate reason, like evil politicians. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about people who have been denied the sacraments for illegitimate reasons. Obviously, uh, ultimately, God has the power there, and so he expects something of us to regain those things which men have illegitimately taken away from us. And it's an opportunity for all of us who don't live in that situation, who don't live in those countries, to offer a small sacrifice of our own, to take up a cross upon our shoulders for the reparations of whatever sins have... Uh, how do I put it? Whatever sins are responsible for God permitting these things to happen uh, in places like Ireland, for instance. And anyone who lives in a country who is faithful and a believer, there are many people around you, if you are being punished by being denied the sacraments, it is because there are many people around you who are blasphemers and infidels. And it is your, it's up to you if you cannot convert to offer your crosses and your sacrifices and redouble your reparations for your own sins to transfer that to them because they won't be doing it for themselves. Whether or not your prayers have efficacy in turning them back towards God or whether they still end up damned, that's not your concern. That's up to the Almighty. But the effort that you put forth, the cross that you put upon your shoulder, is one that has efficacy towards paying the debt is probably the wrong way to put it but it demonstrates to God that there are at least ten good men in Sodom put it that way so when we pray and 
today we're, we're just about to start to, to make a prayer this is something for us to bear in mind if you're struggling on your own and particularly if you're struggling with sins like selfishness pride then it's a good practice to get in to offer your prayers and your rosaries for things that have absolutely nothing to do with you at all that's one thing to throw your money down and down the well for in a, in a sort of telescopic philanthropy way you know that's a little bit different but prayer prayer and sacrifice can be telescopic and actually gain efficacy it's one of these rules of the eternal those things which are of God carry farther than those things which are of man and though we're called first to take care of our own materially spiritually we're called to reach as far and as wide as we possibly can go forth make disciples of all nations we can't travel to the depths of the darkest Africa or even further than that the depths of the corrupted hearts of our fellow countrymen we can't reach those we can't go there with by physical means but we can go there by prayer and so today I want to pray for all of those who do not have a mind for prayer since I don't have any attentions in the inbox that's what I think is appropriate to pray for if you do have an attention and you want to send it in, you can send that in to daily decade requests at protonmail.com. That's decade D E C A D E requests in the plural at protonmail.com. And I would be delighted to make reparation for my own sins by praying for you and encourage all of everyone who's listening to this to pray for you as well. And now uh, let's go ahead and turn our minds and our hearts to God. Uh, if you get your rosaries in your hands and pray for all of those who do not have a mind to pray those who are distant so distant from God that they do not seek reparation for their own sins in prayer uh, today is a Monday so we'll be praying in Latin and uh, tomorrow we'll be praying in English and of course when you send in an intention if you want me to pray in a certain way I'd be more than happy to adjust my schedule for you now in nomine patris et filii et spiritus sancti amen pater noster qui es in ceris sanctificere nomen tuum adveniat regnum tuum fia voluntas tua sicut in cedo et in terra panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie et dimidi nobis debita nostra sicut et nos dimidimus debitoribus nostris et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, 
Et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Filio, et Spiritui Sancto. Sicur erat principio, et nunc, et semper, et in saecula seculorum. Amen. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, Vita Dulceno et Spes Nostri, Salve. Ad te clamamos, exulis filia evi, ad te suspiramos, gementes et flentes, in hac lacrimarum, vale. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, hilos tuus misericordes, oculos ad nos converte. Et Jesum, beatum fructum ventris tui, nobis postoc exilium ostende. Clemens, pia, ol dulci vergo Maria. Ora per nobis, sancta Dei genetrix, ut digni officiamo permissionibus Christi. Oremus. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O most merciful Mother, most sorrowful Mother, who has been called the softener of evil hearts, intercede 
we beseech thee on behalf of those whose hearts are hardened against prayer, who keep themselves distant from thy Son, whose sacred heart burns for love, burns with love for them and sorrow for their recalcitrance. Soften their hearts, O good lady. And in this new softness may they reach forth to thee and to thy holy and adorable Son in supplication and in reparation. And come to Christ and God and receive his mercy. Amen. For all of us in our daily battles and all our struggles and all our recalcitrances, Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Sacratissimo Coriezu Miserere Nobis. Sacratissimo Coriezu Miserere Nobis. Sacratissimo Coriezu Adveniat Regnum Tum. In nomine Pacis, Fidii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Well, it may strike some listeners as being a related subject. I didn't think of it as, as such, that uh, our prayer and intention today actually came to me rather on a whim. What, what I don't want to talk, talk about today was uh, cowardice, actually. I picked up, uh, over the weekend, I was at a bookstore, and I picked up uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen's wartime prayer book. This is an abbreviation of a text that he put forth in 1943, uh, for use by ally by English-speaking soldiers during the war. Now, in the years that have followed since that war, we've come to a little bit of a more nuanced understanding of exactly what the causes were, and everybody that, and by causes, I, I mean both the things that caused the war and the causes for which people fought. And the causes for which people fought are, I think, in some ways, uh, neither quite so debased uh, nor quite so glorious as the histories have suggested but as time goes by that's what happens history finds adjustment and at this time when this little book was written originally there was I think a, a broader sense of cohesion in certain of the allied countries that have since fallen into uh, complete incoherence now uh, in, in no small part because of policies they pursued during and after that war. But nevertheless, the book has a tremendous, as with anything written by Bishop Sheen, the book has a sort of perennial quality to it. And it's uh, got a lot of value to it for those that are fighting all kinds of battles, including those of us who are fighting against uh, the great war of our day now. Uh, we do have a great war that we're fighting, and it's a, it's a spiritual war. And it's both within us and it's outside of us and around us. And it's a, a war of, uh, in, in many ways, finding, uh, conquering ourselves and also 
finding our place. There's a great concern that Bishop Sheen highlights in, in one of his talks suddenly in the 1970s. This, this is right towards the end of his television show after they had switched to color and changed the whole set so he doesn't have all the books and the backboard and all of that. Well, he still has the blackboard, but it's, anyway, it's, it's, the, it's one of the later episodes. And he talks about identity and why people are seeking identity. And it comes down, in his estimation, to a lack of, of rootedness in the spiritual and in God. Because ultimately, all of our identity as creatures of God derive from our Creator. He puts us in a particular context. Well, the, con the context in which God has put us right now is a deeply confusing one. And just as all wars are deeply confusing, shrouded in fog. And so this little book, I, I think, has a lot of value to it. There's some things that are, that are a little bit uh, dated and perhaps don't directly apply to everything that we're doing now. But nevertheless, there's quite a lot in here that's of some great value. So I encourage everybody to... I'll take a look at it at least. I don't know that I encourage everybody to buy it, but it's certainly something worth uh, worth taking a look at. And there's a couple of things in here that have jumped out at me, and one of those things has to do with valor. And what it means to have it. trying to think of exactly where the point was because I had the passage completely uh, ready to go <laughs> and now of course it's fleeing from me and so what there it is it's sacrifice of course it is talks about love has all love is ultimately rooted in sacrifice it is a giving up of oneself martial valor is often thought of as being a sort of acceptable recklessness And I think that this is a, this is wrong. And cowardice, likewise, is usually thought of as being a a refusal to um, or a, a, a an overabundance of prudence. That's why people often sneer at the statement that prudence is the better part of valor. But I think we could I think we can think about that a little bit more deeply. In all of our daily battles, we must prove valorous to some greater or lesser extent. Because no matter what kind of fight we are engaged in, whether it's small and interior, whether it's large or exterior, or whether it's large and interior, which actually, it's the, that last category is the most frequent kind of battle that we fight. One that is great and difficult, but within ourselves. The valor that we must show, it's rather easy, really, to show valor if one is not fighting out in the open. You're not risking limb and life. It could be somewhat, well, you would think that it would be more, e it would be easier to show valor. But I would argue that it's not. Because valor is in itself a depth and a parting. I 
I know that the etymology does not necessarily relate to the Latin Valley uh, or to the English Valley, but one cannot help but see some similarity, and it offers us a good means to reflect on the meaning of the word, to reflect on these other two. What is a valley? A valley is a deep part. It's a. It's hidden. It's within. It has. Uh, it usually is carved by some river. And rivers carry life. A valley is. Uh, it's a low place, a low lying usually teeming with life. In our valleys, and we usually think of it from the peaks because we exalt ourselves in the peaks and we are humbled in the valleys, it's also a place of humility. We talk about the veil of tears that we must pass through. A valley is a place of profound self-knowing. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is a, a keenness, an awareness in the valley of the shadow of death that one is not aware of upon the mountains because one has more power in the mountains. One has a greater ability to see farther. More is hidden from us in the valley. It's a state of humility and a state of self-emptying. The Latin valle was used as a farewell, and in fact, we still use this word. It's in our language. We don't often think of it, but when we say carnival, it's the same thing. It's a, a farewell to meat, a parting with meat, carnival. When we part with the things of this world, when we say farewell to them, and we go our separate ways from the world, there is a self-emptying and a parting from those things which give us comfort. Anyone who was paying attention to one of some of the things that we posted, whenever we posted on Exodus Americanus throughout Lent, we attached the definition of effeminacy that uh, Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas had, which was uh, to be effeminate is to be uh, to, to yield easily. It is, a, it is a, uh, a love of soft and comfortable things and a reluctance to experience pain. Now this isn't because women are generally reluctant to experience pain, although many are. Rather, what it means is that a woman is, by her nature, when we think of the feminine, we think of one who yields. natural state of woman is to be subject to her husband. That's an acceptable and normal line of thinking that comes directly from Scripture and the, the teaching of the Church. To yield to very little, to yield easily, St. Thomas says, is to be effeminate. Another word that might actually, I think, sum up what St. Thomas is describing better than effeminacy is cowardice. The coward, facing difficulty, literally cowers. He curls up into a ball and shakes, refuses to face those hard realities, which are what shapes a man into a man. And if we take cowardice and valor as opposite points, then we must say that the coward is full of himself not in the way that we usually use that phrase when we talk about a proud man, but rather he is filled with himself. He's concerned primarily with himself. He's absorbed 
all of himself into himself. There is no space for anything external but his wants, his needs, his I almost want to say his hisness, but that's not, that's that's so that's such lazy uh, philosophizing. But the coward is entirely of the world, and all of the things that make us worldly creatures, the coward is full of them and completely unself-reflective of them. He has no depth at all. He imagines himself to have total control over things, and when that total control is shattered, when he's fa- when he faces real challenges, real difficulties, which awaken him, him fear, uh, then he recoils and he re- he retreats into himself. He doesn't have the life that the valley has, teeming with life. He has this barren rock that he sits upon from which he thinks he surveys the world and knows what's coming and when something catches him by surprise he doesn't know how to react and so he cowers valor therefore it seems to me is a deeply Christian trait because it requires all the things that make a good Christian it requires self-reflection humility and ultimately an emptying of the self for some greater cause. What makes a man valorous? Well, an action, or rather an attitude, in which the self is not considered or is considered very little because of some greater good, whether it is the life of another, the love of God, the well-being of, of others generally, anything which requires self-sacrifice for betterment. And in a moment, in a difficult moment, there are those who sacrifice themselves regularly, the saints sacrifice themselves regularly for others, as we're all called to do. But valor, we say, must be something that occurs in a moment. A challenge arises, the valorous man puts himself aside, or rather is so emptied of himself that only the cause, or only this this greater love, the love of God, can animate his action. And the coward is so full of himself that the love of God cannot penetrate his heart and spring him to action. Because a man filled, of course, with the love of God, how can he not act? Our faith is not a passive faith which sits and merely is. Our faith is an active faith. To rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing are things that can only be done actively. They cannot be done interiorly and eat well. Hmm. Before I, before I err, let me correct myself there. They cannot be done passively. They can be done interiorly. That which is interior is not necessarily inactive. Since contemplative prayer is deeply interior and deeply active. But they cannot be done passively. We cannot simply wait around for the grace of God and simply pass the time. 
And the so the valorous man is a man of action. The cowardly man is not. The valorous man is a man of sacrifice. The cowardly man is not. The valorous man is a man of love. The cowardly man is not. And as Christians, in our daily battles and everything that we undertake, we are called to be men of valor, of full hearts, because our hearts are never full until they're full of God. Our hearts are restless, O Lord, until they rest in Thee, says St. Augustine. And a valorous man, likewise, has a full heart, and one which rests in Christ. Now there are forms of things, that, there are things that look like valor that are not. A man who is merely berserk is not valorous. But it's usually easy to tell the difference. A man who does risky things because he enjoys them and is full of himself in those things. Again, sometimes it's difficult to, uh, to differentiate between the valorous man and the reckless man. But the valorous man is upon close examination easy to see because those who are merely reckless do not have all the things that the valorous man actually has. It is possible to be a valorous man and a non-Christian, but no faith makes valor so easy as Christianity because all men who are Christian, if they are truly Christian and strive to be Christian, have all the things that valor requires within themselves and it requires very little work on their part very little reflection to be valorous in times of need so my prayer today is a simple prayer that all of us will have sufficient Christian virtue that we will be sufficiently disciplined as Christians that when the moment calls for it we may step up and demonstrate our merit as men, if not as Christians, with valorous action. And in so doing, earn for ourselves not the glory of men, but the glory which is everlasting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.